listening to the Living Room North Living Room North podcast. glad that you are here tonight. Uh, For those of you in the room who do not know me, my name is Chelsea and I have got to work on staff with The Living Room for the past two years. I love this place. I call this place home and I hope that many of you in the room feel the same way, that you feel at home here or that you find a home here. But I know that we've got some new faces in the room that are not typically with us. And so I thought I would give you some background on me. Um, This is my family. We're going to throw them up on the screen. This is my husband, Ty. We've been married for about six and a half years. And this is my son, Owen. He was born a year and a half ago. He is our first baby. And if you've met Owen, uh, Jillian can attest to this, you know he is crazy. He is always on the move. He's got strong opinions. Uh, So it's a little wild in our house most of the time. It's pretty chaotic. It's pretty loud, but it's a lot of fun. And so a few weeks ago, Ty and I, uh, we went on our first vacation together, just the two of us since Owen was born. And, and we decided we wanted to go back to a place that we'd been before. We decided to go to Kauai, which if you're not familiar, is one of the smaller Hawaiian islands. It's called the Garden Island because it's super green. It gets lots of rain. It's kind of rainforesty. And before you judge me and think like, whoo, can't hide money, don't forget I work at a church. So um, we stayed in a super cheap Airbnb and we ate PB&Gs, PB&Js for lunch, like pretty much every day, but we were so determined to get back to this place because we love it. Like we love to adventure. We love the outdoors. We love to hike. And this island in particular, it's got mountains. It's got beaches. It's got the ocean. It's got rainforest. It is stunning. And so we saved up to go back. And as we were getting ready for this trip, we started to look for some hikes because that's what we're all about. We love to hike. And any hikers in the room familiar with all trails? Anybody ever used all trails? Yeah, hikers unite. Um, So we go on on all trails, which is a website where you can find hikes. And we're like, what do we want to do on this next trip? Where do we want to go? What do we want to see? And we find a few hikes that look awesome but there's one hike in particular that I mean looks incredible. Like, I mean, absolutely epic. The photos are stunning and we just get obsessed with this hike. We're like, we gotta do it. So I stole a video from somebody else's TikTok to show you this hike. This hike is to the blue hole, check it out. And there's no sound here. So I'm gonna tell you a little bit about this spot and hopefully you can see it on the screens. But essentially, this is the center of the island. Like right in the center of the island, um, this place is surrounded by these 3,000 foot cliffs. And they call it the blue hole because when you get where we just saw, when you look up, all you see is green and you see a little hole of light of the sky. And all of these waterfalls are rushing down into this pool. And it just looked amazing. We're like, we have to go there. And so we start our research. We're like, what do we need to know to get there? We watch all the YouTube videos. We read all the articles. We actually reach out to some locals on Facebook because like I said, hiking nerd here. And uh, we talk to some locals in town. We're like, tell us what you know about the Blue Hole. And what we learn is that not many people attempt this hike. 
that this trail is actually not a real trail, that, that it's pretty difficult to figure out where to go and to navigate. We learn that we're gonna be in, in mud, like calf deep to knee deep at times. We learn that we're gonna have to wade through a river waist deep multiple times. We learn that we've gotta buy felt bottom shoes. I didn't know that was a thing because we're gonna be walking across boulders and rocks as we go. We learned that this hike was gonna be upwards of 12 hours, maybe more. And then if you get stuck out there in the dark, you basically just have to camp out because there's no cell service. And uh, if you try to hike back in the dark, it's gonna be pretty insane. And we also learned that this is one of the wettest spots in the world. And so a lot of people are telling us, hey, like if it starts to rain, it's very possible it would flash flood and it's super dangerous. And so we hear all these things and, and we're like, okay, let's buy the shoes and let's go. Like we go buy the felt bottom shoes that I will never probably wear again. And we say, let's try it, let's do it, let's go. Now, the important thing here to note, I, I wanna know, are there any Enneagram sixes in the room? Anybody in Enneagram six, loud and proud, I love it. Um, I have a lot of Enneagram six tendencies. And if you're not familiar with what that is, um, one of those tendencies is to anticipate worst case scenarios, to be prepared for worst case scenarios. So my husband Ty and I go into this hike and I recognize really early on that we have got two different missions in mind. My husband Ty, his mission is to get to the end no matter what, like full stop, he's gonna get to Blue Hole. And I would love to do that too. But my mission was like, I want to see that but I also want to make it home safely because we have a child and he needs a mom and a dad. And like, we've got to get back home after this hike is over. And this becomes super clear that we're different as we start hiking. And the first few miles of this hike, we come up on this, um, the spot where the Jurassic Park gate was originally filmed. Like literally, if you see these two poles, that's the last of this Jurassic Park gate that's left. And we're like, oh my gosh, this is incredible. We're the only people back here, okay? Uh, we're surrounded by this rainforest, no cell service, it's so quiet. The fog is like so low. And if I'm honest, my um, maybe Enneagram 6 brain is like going some places. And I'm like, okay, uh, babe, I know this is crazy. I know this is like absolutely crazy, but go with me here. Do you think there's any chance there could be dinosaurs. And he is like, mm, yeah, okay. So his sweet and supportive response is, yes, Chelsea, the government has been hiding them from us all along. To which he laughs and I panic because in my mind, I'm like, maybe that's true. And so we keep going on this hike and I'm like, all right, I'm a mom, like I gotta get home. And, and Ty's just trucking along and, and it starts to rain. And as I mentioned, Many people had told us, if it starts to rain, you need to get out. So I'm like, hey, babe, I, I think we got to turn back. Like, I think it's time to go. You know, we got to tap out. And this man, he has not even looked back at me. He says, no, Chelsea, we're good. Let's keep going. And I'm like, what are we doing? You're insane. And then we get to this spot, this beautiful waterfall. This is not the end of the hike, but we get here. 
and we can't really tell where to go. Like the trail pretty much stops. But what you can't see is on the other side of like this vegetation right here, there is a, another cliff that's pretty much a, like a, a bald cliff with no vegetation. It's slippery looking because it's been raining and Ty's like, hey, I think, I think that's where we're supposed to go. I'm like, are you out of your blank mind? That is not where we are going. I'm like, babe, that is our certain death. Like we've got to get home. We cannot go up there. And we have a conversation that's very gentle and um, kind. And we get to the end of this conversation, the married people in the room, you're like, mm, I've been there. And we get to the end and he's like, let me just try. Like, let me just try to get up, see what happens, see if the trail is there. And at this point, I just cross my arms because I'm like, oh my gosh, Owen, I love you. And um, he, he goes up, he gets to the top. I follow behind, there are a few tears shed and we get to the top of this cliff. But we didn't make it to the blue hole because we ran out of time. It started to get dark, it, it was raining and we decided, hey, it, it's just not safe and we turned back. And we hiked six miles in and six miles out and we never got to see it. But what I learned on this sad, defeating hike is that Ty and I, we were on the same hike. We're taking the same steps, we're seeing the same thing, but we had very different missions in mind. And the mission that each of us had, it totally changed the lens through which we approached the hike. And I wonder for you today in the room, whatever you came in with, if you have ever considered what is the mission of your life? Like I bet if I came and asked you, some of you in the room, you could put words around the mission of your life. But I would imagine many of us, and, and there's nothing wrong with this, would say, I, I don't really know. I haven't thought about it. But the reality is whether you've thought about it or not, we've all got some inner mission that's driving us through life. Maybe for you, your mission is happiness. Every decision that you make and everything that you do is centered around being happy. Maybe for you, your mission is comfortability. And so everything that you do and every decision you make, it's to be comfortable. Maybe for you, your mission is to find love. Maybe your mission is, is to get wealth or achieve success. I don't know what the mission looks like, but we've all got some inner mission, whether we've named it or not. And that mission is the lens through which all of us are approaching life. That when we come to each and every turn, like the Jurassic Park gate and the waterfall, that mission is the lens through which we make our decisions and move forward. So if you're familiar with our church, uh, the living room is, is a part of Brownsbridge Church, and maybe you've been a part of this church for some time and you know the mission of our church. Maybe you're totally unfamiliar and that's okay. Our church, our church exists to inspire people to follow Jesus. This is the mission of our church, to inspire people to follow Jesus, to take a step toward Jesus, to be in relationship with Jesus, to trust Jesus. And so everything that we do here is through this lens, is for this mission. And we do a lot of things. Like we have a preschool ministry here, which I'm so grateful for. We have a middle school ministry. We have a high school ministry. On Sunday mornings, we have a worship service and we stream those online. 
We serve in our community and we donate to local schools and, and local nonprofits. We do a lot of things. But all of those things, they revolve around one mission, one idea, and it's to inspire people to follow Jesus. But that mission is not meant to just live in this building. For sure, that mission happens within these walls, but our hope and our prayer is that if you call this place your church, or if you call this ministry your college ministry, that you would take this mission outside of these walls, that this mission would make it onto your campuses, into your dorms, into your house, into your job, that this mission would go far and wide because you are the carriers of it. So here's the question. Are we living a life? Are we living a life that inspires people to follow Jesus? Or at the very least, are we building a reputation that piques people's interest in who Jesus is and what he is about? The past few weeks, we've been in this series called Big Reputation um, for my Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift lovers in the room, a nod to you. Um, we've been in this series called Big Reputation where we're talking about our reputations and why they matter. Because the reality is every reputation matters. If you stand for something bigger than yourself, then your reputation has an impact that goes far beyond you. And if you're a follower of Jesus, your reputation really matters because the reputation of the church matters and the reputation of Jesus matters. The world is watching. They're making assumptions about our faith, about our church, about Jesus based on the lives we're living, based on the way we love and treat other people. And so our reputations, they matter. Our reputations are a big deal. So here's, here's what I want us to wrestle with tonight and, and every day moving forward. As Brownsbridge Church, as the living room, as followers of Jesus, here's the question, how can we, how can we begin to repair the reputation of the church? How do we begin to repair the reputation of the church? Because I think we're all familiar with the fact that the reputation of the church at this moment it's a little bit low. I imagine if you were to ask a coworker or a roommate or a friend about church or about Christians, there would be some negative things that would come up. And so my question is, how can we begin to repair the reputation of the church? And I think the answer starts with you individually. I think the answer starts with each of us and our own individual reputation. Because if we're people, who want to inspire other people to follow Jesus, people should look at our lives. They should look at the way we forgive, the way that we serve. They should look at the patience that we have, the joy we exude, the hope that we have. They should look at our life and be inspired and compelled to follow Jesus. They should look at our life and see something very different from the world. Because the reality is we cannot make a difference in the world if we are just like it. As followers of Jesus, we're called to more, much more. Because we're called to model our life after the guy who gave everything for us, who laid down his very life for other people. And Jesus, that same guy, he had something to say about this while he spent time here on earth in a sermon he gave, the, the sermon we know is the Sermon on the Mount. 
And, and this comes up in Matthew chapter five, and this is what Jesus has to say about our reputation, about the mission of our lives. He says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. There we go. You are the salt of the earth. He says that about you. And to us, we're like, oh, awesome. Like, I love salt on my tortilla chips. But at this time, salt was a big deal. Salt would have been one of the most valuable commodities in the time of Jesus because it had so many uses. Salt, for one, makes everything better. Am I right? Like, I want all the salt when I'm having chips and queso. Like, I never want to have veggies that don't have salt on them. Brussels sprouts without salt? No, thank you. Like, salt makes everything better. And so we, as the salt of the earth, we should make everything that we step into better. Our community should be so much better because we are a part of it. Our city should be so much better because this church is here. Salt makes everything better. Salt, it also makes you thirsty. I'm like thirsty for water, just to clarify. But when you eat a lot of tortilla chips, you're like, I need some water, please. And um, Jesus is saying, hey, salt, salt makes us thirsty. You, the way that you live your life should make people thirst for more, should make people thirst for Jesus. People should look at your life and go, gosh, why is she so kind all the time? Gosh, why does he never say a bad thing about other people? Gosh, what is different about them? Why do they act that way? Why do they make those decisions? People should look at your life and go, whatever they've got, I want it. Salt makes us thirsty and salt at this time when Jesus said this, it was a preservative. When Jesus said this, it was long before the magic of refrigerators. And so salt was used to keep food good, to keep it from going bad. And so here Jesus is saying, hey, it is your job as my followers to preserve the good in a dark and broken world. As the salt of the earth, you are to preserve my goodness. In times of, of turmoil, we should be pointing to peace. In times of divisiveness, we should be championing unity. In times of difficulty and tragedy, we should be pointing people back to hope. And in the face of hate, we should always choose love. Jesus says, hey, you are salt. You should make everything better. You should make people thirsty for me and you should preserve my goodness because the world needs it. Jesus goes on with this analogy and many of you have probably heard this before. He says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus says, hey, you are the light of the world. He calls you that. And then he says some, some things that are kind of obvious about light. He says, hey, a city on a hill, it, it's not gonna be hidden because you're gonna see it. 
If you turn on a lamp, you're not gonna put it under a bowl, you're gonna put it on a stand because we're gonna use it to illuminate the room, to give light. Light is meant to shine in the darkness, to illuminate things. And then uh, Jesus says, let your light shine. And I find this fascinating because Jesus is saying, hey, just because you are a source of light does not mean you are shining. Like if you think about these light bulbs in this room, they are all a source of light. But if they're not on, they're useless. They're not being used for the purpose they were created. So, hey, God, Jesus says, you have a light in you because of me. Let that light shine. Don't hide it away from the world. Use it for my good. And what does that look like? He tells us, he says, with your good deeds with the good things you do, with the good things you do for others, with the way that you serve, with the way that you love. He says, when you do these good things, they will reflect light back at your Father in heaven. They're not to make you look good. They're to glorify God. You are the light of the world. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. He says, hey, salt that's not salty, it's useless. A light that's not shining is useless. And the same is true for us. And Jesus isn't trying to be harsh in saying that, but instead he's calling us, he's inviting us to step into the purpose for which we've been created, to live a life on mission, to be salt, to be light, to inspire people to follow Jesus. Because the reality is the difference in you, it's meant to make a difference in others. Jesus didn't come just to save you. Jesus didn't come just to change your life. Jesus didn't come just to make a difference in you. He came to do it so that it would happen again and again and again, and that we would hear stories like these that we heard in the tub where sweet Esther gets to baptize these girls and our lives are made different so that others can look at them and be different. And so maybe you're like, okay, that all sounds great. I really don't know what to do with that. Like what's next for me? And I would say if, if we want to live those types of lives, if we want to be on mission, be salt and be light, there are a few things that we could do proactively each and every day that make that happen. And one of those things is, is we choose to contribute rather than only consume. Y'all, Christians have gotten really good at consuming, Esther talked about TikTok. We have gotten really good at consuming sermons and consuming TikToks and consuming worship and and consuming podcasts and content. And those are not bad things. But when that is all we are doing, we are not engaged in the kingdom of God, not the one that he came to bring. And so when we show up in a church and we think, what can I get out of this? Rather than what can I give? We are not living as salt and light. And so what it looks like to contribute is to show up and go, how do I play a part? What gifts has God given me that I can use for his good? How do I go out and reach others and love others and make a difference? Another way that we are salt and light is we face outward rather than inward. We face outward rather than inward. It's really easy to get comfortable with our people, with our church friends, with our church group. But when we lose sight of pursuing the people outside of this, we're missing out on the kingdom of God. 
Because the reality is Jesus gave us a masterclass on this in the Gospels. Jesus showed us what it looks like to go to the people on the fringes. Those who have been hurt by the church, those who are unchurched, those who have never been in a church, those who are skeptical of church. He showed us what it looked like to go and to engage and share a meal and love and invest and invite. And that's what he calls us to. And then lastly, we can be salt and light when we choose conviction rather than convenience. We choose conviction rather than convenience. This is hard. And if you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to have to do this time and time again. You see, what, what would be convenient is to sit with the same people. When you go to chapter, or when you're in the dining hall, or when you show up here on a Wednesday night, but you've got this conviction that's like, hey, there's that, that same guy that you see sitting by himself all the time. Hey, there's that girl that you know is walking through something really hard. Conviction says, go sit with them. Go talk to them. It would be convenient to hold grudges, to not forgive, to burn bridges when you've been hurt. But conviction says, you should go first in forgiveness because God forgave you. It would be really convenient to push boundaries and cross lines in your dating life, in your dating relationship, because it's easy. It would be convenient to choose what feels good, but conviction says that's not it. You've got this conviction that goes, hey, honor God and honor others with your body. It's not convenient, but there's conviction. It would be convenient to decide that you're right about everything that your political stance is right and your, your point is right and your side of the argument is right, that would be convenient and easy. But conviction says, slow down, listen, empathize, try to understand, love the other person on the side of the conversation. Conviction says being in a relationship is more important than being right. These are all ways that we can be salt and light in a broken world. These are all ways that we can inspire people to follow Jesus. And I know for me, I have got several people in my life, several people that I love dearly, people that have been in my home, that have walked away from Jesus because of something they've experienced with the church or because of someone that represented the church. And maybe you know somebody like that too. And I know for me, it can be heartbreaking to watch someone encounter a reputation of Jesus that is not accurate. But TLR, I am excited and privileged and honored that I and that you get the responsibility to go and change the story. You get to rewrite the narrative you get to repair the reputation of the church, and you get to model the true reputation of Jesus for the people that you love and for the people that you'll never meet. It's a gift. So let's go and do that together. Let's go on mission in the workplace, on our campus, and our friend groups here Let's go and be salt and light. Let's inspire people to follow Jesus and let's figure out what's our mission because we've got one. 
and it matters.